So my name is Chrislyn, and my story starts when I was born into a home of drug addicts. I went into the foster system at 20 months old, and at age three, I was adopted by my parents. It was in my home growing up that I had learned about Jesus and who he was. I had always assumed that God was good and all, but like I didn't really need him, and following him seemed kind of boring. Being a Christian seemed to have too many rules, and it seemed too hard, so I put God off. As time went, on, as time went by and I grew up, I began my journey in middle school where I was exposed to the world. I began to find my identity in worldly things like how I looked and what people thought of me. I chased any guy who gave me attention because I had a need for something that I could not find in things, popularity, or people. During this time, I became depressed and I found joy in nothing. As my parents continued to talk to me about how only God could satisfy me, I never really understood this until my eighth grade year. My eighth grade year, I grew tired of driving my life into a ditch. I realized then that my parents might actually know what they were talking about. And I began to take small baby steps into my faith. Although my life brightened up since then, God wasn't done teaching me lessons. My first year of high school started and once again started and once again I was introduced to another difficult environment. I had started to bring back my sixth grade struggles and I was unsatisfied yet again. I chased after guys and I sought to be cool and I found my identity in worldly things. One day my sin that I had been living in for a while, was revealed, and I got in trouble for it. I was angry at God and I was at, and at anybody who was involved in my punishment. Once COVID came along and ended my school year early, I had a lot of time on my hands to think about my life decisions. I began to realize that I was thankful that I, was, that I got in trouble and that God loved me enough not to let me go down that path any longer. At first, I saw COVID as a burden and something completely irrelevant. But during this season, I had fully given my life to the Lord, and I was beginning to grow in Him. I realized how desperately I needed Him in my life, and I reflected over how God saved me from many things that I deserved to stay in. But no, God's dying love for me never weakened, and He wanted me, a broken sinner, to follow Him and to love Him. This may seem like the story is over, but it isn't. God isn't done with me yet. I will continue to face trials, but now I want to face them while walking beside the one who has always been there for me. God is currently teaching me lessons and working in my life as I grow in my faith. I may not understand why he is doing the things he is now, but neither did I in the past. Now I look back and I see that he had a plan for me from the very beginning, and he never left me. I'm not perfect. I still sin, but God has overwhelming love and forgiveness that will never end. He has the power to find beauty in ashes, and one thing I would like to ask of my church family is to pray for me to continue to grow in Christ for the rest of my life. about now okay good i think my voice carries well enough but we'll still use the microphone so the people online can hear us 
Uh, my name is J.D. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you here this morning. Can you turn me down just a little bit? Yeah, thank you. Uh, and continuing our series. If you don't have a Bible of your own, as, as Mike said, there should be a Bible really close by you. Uh, just grab one of those. Page 833 is where we're going to be. Uh, page 833. And so uh, we have some good friends in town with us, the Clifton family. Uh, they have been friends of ours for the last, uh, what, 17 years going on, maybe? Yeah. So the last 17 years and have been just really uh, instrumental in my, where I am and actually where, the, uh, where Brian is as well, especially uh, Clint in our lives. Uh, but just their family as a whole. And as you can imagine, as, as, as friendships evolve, uh, one of the things that happens over time is that you begin to be honest with one another. More honest than probably like, you know, even family or some of those things, like just friends become family and just become and be honest with one another. And so this has definitely been true with mine and Clint. Clint was supposed to be here today, but he, was, he couldn't make it. So mine and Clint's relationship, like Clint is always one that would speak the truth in love to me. And uh, he did this a, a few years ago, and uh, it kind of took me aback, but I wasn't sure where he was going with it. So uh, he, he asked me a question as we were talking about sermon, uh, how we presented sermons, how we delivered sermons, how we preached sermons, and even how we prepared sermons. One of the questions that he asked me was, hey, do you go out of your way to include humor in your sermons? To which I said, no, I don't go out of my way to include humor humor in my sermons, and he said, good. Now, I, don't, I didn't know where to go with that first. Like, you know, he, one of two things popped in my head. One was that humor has no place in the service, right? No place from the pulpit. Or, you're just not very funny, therefore you shouldn't bring humor into the pulpit, right? Now, I just, just a straw poll, how many of you think it's the first one? Okay, how many of you think it's the second one? <laughs> Hold on, we got to get some pictures for posterity's sake so I can know who to go after. My family all raised their hand. Every one of them raised their hand. But because I know Clint, I know exactly where he was going. He, doesn't, uh, he didn't have to tell me in that moment what his thoughts were when he said good because I knew what he meant. If you were to ask what my... How do you identify J.D.? If, how do you identify as Jonathan Davis? Uh, you would probably not identify one of my top ten attributes as my sense of humor, right? As my sense of humor. I have to work at, work at probably uh, providing a sense of humor. Like if, if you were to ask Clint what his is, or if you were to ask others about Clint, man, it's probably in his top two, right? I mean, Clint's, Clint's witty, he's quick-witted, like he's quick on the spot with things. Um, but for me, like, that doesn't happen naturally. So my identity is not in my sense of humor. And so um, he knew in that moment, he was reminding me that as I prepared, to, uh, prepared sermons, as I thought about how I wanted to present sermons in this, that those markers that are essential to my identity would be what forms and shapes my sermons. And humor was not one of them, so I shouldn't work so hard on doing that. And so he wanted me to focus on those traits that, that, were, that were helpful in identifying who I am as a person. And the same is true of the Apostle John when it comes to Jesus. The same is true of the Apostle John when it comes to Jesus. He says that he could have written enough about Jesus 
that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That's the last verse in John chapter 21, is that all that was written, the books, all the books that could be written, that the world would not itself contain everything that John could have written about Jesus. But he does tell us about who, or tell us about why he is writing, or what his goal is in writing this book of John. He, sa- he tells us in John 20, 31, it says this, I have written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Very specific. That, that I want to write down the details of Jesus' life, the things that you can identify Jesus with so that you may believe. And that by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you would have life in His name. So as we unfold the book of John, that is what we will be doing, is exposing the text to, to identify what John is trying to say, that Jesus is the Christ. And if you'll remember from last week, one of the most important questions Greg Gilbert says that we can ask in our society is this. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus. Let's read together John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent by God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only, uh, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let us pray. Jesus I pray, Lord, that you would help us to give clarity from this text. Lord, that you would open our ears to what you have to say to us this morning, that that I, as your mouthpiece, would speak words of wisdom and truth and and to be, um, that your spirit would work through me, Lord, and speak what it is that you have to speak. It's in Jesus' name that we humbly pray. Amen. 
you're a note taker, I have a main idea and three points this morning. So the main idea of the text is this, similar to our main idea of the whole book and John's main idea in his book, which he writes. But the main idea of this text is this, Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh, who brings life to those who receive him and believe. Jesus is God in the flesh, who brings life to those who receive him and believe. One more time, Jesus is God in the flesh, who brings life to those who receive him and believe. First point is this, Jesus is the eternal and creative word. Jesus is the eternal and creative word. Word. Jesus has eternally and always existed. We see here in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John starts off by reminding us similarly to the book of Genesis that would have stuck out to those who were reading it, who were especially in the, uh, the Jews, that it would have been very similar in language to the beginning of creation in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is establishing Jesus' relationship to God as the second person of the Trinity. He uses similar language in Colossians 1, uh, painting Christ in His eternality, but also as Lord, when he says that He is the image of the invisible God. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth. And we see this in similarly in chapter 2 and verse 2 and 3. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything that was made. So the question for us here is why doesn't he say in the beginning was Jesus? And Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. Wouldn't that have been a little simpler for us to understand in this day and age? But the Greek word choice here is the word logos. Logos. This is important because it helps us to see in other places throughout the book, this book that John is not only speaking to a Jewish audience, but he is also speaking to a Greek audience. So we know from the book of Matthew that he is speaking mainly to a Jewish audience as he gives a genealogy. John does not give a genealogy. We know that, we, that the book of Mark, where he doesn't paint a genealogy, is speaking mostly to Greeks. And then Luke paints a picture to the Greeks as well as a sympathetic Christ that has come into the world to, to, to see and express that we get to see manifested in the world. But here in John, he has a, he has a dual people in mind. Those who are Jews, those who are Greeks, those who are in the line of of, of, of Abraham and those who are outside of the line of Abraham. So it helps us to see that he was writing to a two different sects of people. He was writing to both Jews and Gentiles. See, John emphasized to the Jews not only that Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecies, but that Jesus fulfilled certain types of the Messiah that the Jews were looking for. He does this by referring to Jesus as the Lamb of God. 
that we'll see next week. The ladder from heaven to earth, as we'll see in a couple of weeks. John records Jesus' statement that he is the new temple, that he is the new birth. His primarily Jewish audience would have understood these things well. But we also know that he was writing to the Greeks because he is the only, he is the only gospel writer who elaborates on, on Jewish words and thoughts and customs. He explains here in the text that we'll see in a couple weeks uh, what a rabbi is for his audience who would not know. We also see this because the word logos means in the Greek divine reasoning or having the mind of God. The Jews would have understood this as divine being who was a bridge between God and the, and the world found in a coming Messiah. The bridge that would that would bring about God and the world, God and man, this chasm that exists, that Jesus would be the one, the word that would come in between and would be the divine bridge. But Greek philosophers would have had a much different interpretation. They would have been intrigued by the word and the language used by John because of their propensity to use reason to come to their conclusions about life. Matter of fact, a prominent philosopher of the first century named Philo used the word logos no more than 1,300 times in his writings because people wanted to talk about divine reason and the things of the mind of God. And so by drawing us into this, by starting in the beginning was the word, he was drawing in two different audiences. As we read this, we see that the second person of the Trinity Trinity is God, is Jesus, the Son of Man, which is what John is trying to do for us. He's painting a picture that Jesus is, has, has, is, and has always eternally will exist for all time in his eternality. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, Jesus was with God. And all things, all of creation was made through him. And without, without him was not anything made that was made. So what is the application for us just in this? Just in this, just these three verses. What does this cause us to do as it should have caused those who originally read it? To his, to his original, original audience, both Jew and eventually to the Greek, to the Gentile, that we would worship. That we would see creation and we would automatically think of the triune God who put it into existence. Of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that, that, have, that have, were seen in the beginning of Genesis. Psalm 19, 1 and 2 reminds us that the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pour out, pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. You want to know who God is? You want to know what creation is? Just look around. His handiwork pours out speech 
It reveals his knowledge. That if Jesus was a part of this, then we worship. We worship God, the creator, that Jesus is the eternal and the creative, the creative word. That he would be mindful of us in these things to, to give us his common grace, even for those who do not believe. Because we can see his handiwork all over. Even in a fallen, broken world, we can see his handiwork all over his creation. We rejoice. Rejoice that Jesus is eternal. We rejoice in his goodness. So Jesus is the eternal and creative word. Second thing that we see here is that Jesus brings light and life. Jesus brings light and with it, life. Verse 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We know that darkness cannot overcome light because darkness is simply the absence of light. So in Jesus, in Him, in the Word that had come, this life was the light of men. You see, John had not just, this is not just something that John created out of his own volition. This is something that he actually had heard from Jesus. In John chapter 8, verse 12, it says that Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. So in him was life. And the way that we get to see this life, the way that we get to experience this life, that, that we have life, is that is through Jesus Christ, who is the eternal God. So in him was life. And the life was the light of men. This light shines in the darkness. What is, he, what is he referring to here? He's referring back to man's fallen nature. That in the beginning, God did create a perfect world. And he put light and life in it. And so we see then pointing back, John's pointing back to the original creation here. And we see this beautiful perfectness to it. Where even though the ground was watered from underneath, there was no rain. And all the ground was water, and it's just perfect. And then all of a sudden we get to Genesis chapter 3, and it all goes awry. Where man sins against God, and been sinning ever since. And darkness has come into the world. And that yet, in spite of this, even in the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, there was a promise. There was a promise that Jesus would crush the head of the one who had deceived. And this promise is coming to fruition here in the Messiah. That this light shines despite that darkness, despite man's total depravity, despite our fallen nature, that it shines in the darkness. And our darkness cannot overcome what Jesus wants to do in our hearts when he wants to do it. So this life was the light 
of men. So we see here that there was a man sent by God whose name was John. This is not the Apostle John. This is John the Baptist, a forerunner. He came as a witness to bear witness. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. That all might believe through him. He was not the light. He came to bear witness about the light. And in verse 9, we see that the true light. So John the Baptist is not the light. He's bearing witness to the light. Well, what is this light? It is the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Again, he reminds us the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. You see here in verse 9 that the true light comes, which gives light to everyone. This, is not a, this, this does not mean that everyone will be saved on the day of redemption. This is not a universalist thought. Because in the, in the, the verses that come after it, John clarifies who will receive. He was in the world, the world was made, yet the world did not know him. So he was a light to everyone who would receive him. To everyone who would put their faith and trust in him, he would bring light and life. So this true light, come into the world. And this light is the light of men. And there will be some who will receive it. But there will be many who will not. As Jesus was coming into Nazareth, as we see here that his own people, verse 11, he came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But he came to his own. He came to his own people, and they did not receive him. And you know what Mark 6 tells us? That Jesus looked at them, and he marveled at their unbelief. He marveled at the fact that they couldn't see the Messiah standing right in front of them. He, him, those in his hometown, those in his own family, could not see him. He marveled at their unbelief. But to all who did receive him, but all who believed in his name, you got transferred from the domain of darkness into his glorious light. You went from being apart, uh, separated from God's family to being moved and transitioned into his family. We get to celebrate what happened in Kristen's life, not only because of, of her salvation, but because of her uh, adoption from going from one family into another family. And that God using that to expose the glorious light and giving her a new life, a new birth in him. And nothing else. 
so she went from being a child of wrath to a child of God. And all who have placed their faith, all who have received and believed in his name, he gave the right to become his children. This is good news for us. This is good news that we get to receive this and we open our hearts of God opens our eyes to receive the gospel, that we would believe in his name, that we would become his children. Listen, you need to get this. Because it's not what house you were born into. He goes on to say here in verse 13. It's not what lineage you have, what you come from. It's not. You can't pull up your own bootstraps and get there of your own volition. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you come from. It doesn't matter how hard you work. That you cannot be adopted into God's family unless it is God himself who begins to do the work in your heart. And that's what it says. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. But of God. There's nothing you could do. Well, what do we do in response to this? Well, one, if you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to receive this good news. That you would in there, you would pray that God would open your eyes to receive the good news of the gospel. You have that opportunity today. That if you're not his own, that you could be a child of God. But what if I'm already a child of God? What is my responsibility? You get to bear witness. John the Baptist had a special calling. He was going to be the forerunner that would come and tell about the light that was coming. He was not the light, but he was to bear witness to the true light. Guess what we get to do? We get to be ambassadors for the gospel. We get to go and tell the good news to those who are perishing. It is our responsibility as those who are children of God to go and present the gospel to the children of wrath. Hoping that God would do something in their hearts to save them by His power. That is why Christ came into the world. The true light would come into this world that we would be able to receive salvation. Maybe you go... I don't know how to do that. I'm not very brave. I'm not very bold. I don't know what to do. Well, John 5, 36 tells us this. Jesus says, The testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So you know what's greater than bearing witness that, that, that John's witness bears? is Jesus' own works. So if you don't know how to proclaim the good news of the gospel, just open the Bible for somebody and reveal Jesus to them. 
That's what John is doing here. He's given us the words of the gospel to go and to present. But if we don't know what to do, just open the Bible for somebody. And he bears witness about himself. Just tell somebody your story like Chrislin did this morning. Just tell somebody your gospel story, your testimony, and see what it does. See how it changes lives. That you would experience life that can only come through Christ Jesus himself. And this was the true light of men. So Jesus, the Messiah, brings light and life into a dark, despondent world. It's good news for us. We don't have to live in this darkness. So Jesus brings light and life. Third point is this. Jesus is God in the flesh, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God in the flesh, full of grace and truth. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as the only Son. So Jesus put on flesh he dwelt among his people in a time and a place. Philippians 2.8 says that, that, that we would, that he came in the form of God. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That Jesus, who was fully God and yet fully man, would come into this world, the incarnation of Christ, that He would come, put on flesh, and come into this world and live, and be born in the likeness of men. And John's telling us, you've seen His glory. You've seen His glory as of the only Son. Not only that, He's, he's from the Father, who is also full of grace and truth. We know that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, Luke 2.52. We also know that he became weary and tired. We know that he slept and was hungry. We know that he wept over Lazarus and he wept over Jerusalem. Jesus felt and feels what we feel. The thing that separates us from him, a holy Savior, a true Messiah is that he did it without sin. That he put on flesh, that he would dwell among his people. And he was full of grace and truth. Hebrews 2.17 tells us that there, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us. His brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of his people.
is what he did. Then he mentioned the word propitiation. I don't know if you, many of you know what propitiation means, but it means satisfying God's anger, his wrath towards us. Jesus was the right and perfect Messiah who put on flesh, who dwelt among sinful men so that he could be would satisfy the wrath and the anger of God and that he would be the propitiation for our sins. He is full of grace, unmerited favor, and his word is true. His word is true. Verse 16, for from his fullness. His fullness is the person and his work in creation. The person and work of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.19 says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So from his fullness where God was pleased to dwell, we have received grace upon grace. Unmerited favor upon unmerited favor upon unmerited favor. Nothing you could do to deserve his grace upon grace. Do you know this in your life? Especially if you've been born of him. Do you recognize this grace in your life? Has, do, you, do you live in light of this grace? Do you recognize that your life has been changed by this grace? That you deserve none of his grace and his mercy? You deserve God's eternal punishment and his wrath extended towards you. But because of Jesus, you can have light and life. It's good news. It's good news for you. It's good news for me that, that Jesus would do this. Because although we have never seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. He has given, to Je given Jesus to dwell in with his creation. In a way that you would be able to see him. So in John 14, Jesus is talking to one of his disciples. He says, can we just see the Father? Can we see God? And Jesus goes, how long have you been with me? How, how, long, must I, how long must I tarry here with you? And then he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And so if you want to know who God the Father is, read His Word. If you want to know who God the Son is, read His Word. God the Holy Spirit, read His Word. So even though you haven't seen God, He has made Himself known. He's made Himself known through His Word, through His creation, through the good news of the cross. So let's remember that Jesus is the eternal, creative Word. Jesus brings light and life. And Jesus is full of grace.
question that you need to ask yourself is, who is Jesus? Is he my Savior? Is he my Lord? Or is he something very different? You see, Jesus is God in the flesh. He brings life to those who receive him and believe. Have you received? Have you believed? Or are you like his family? Not knowing really who he is. Doubting that this God is true. I tell you, it's not. He's not. He is as sure as the words on this paper. That he is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one that Vinny talked about earlier. He has come into this world and dwelt among his people so that you may have life. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for just the reminder that John gives us that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one to come that was promised even all the way back at the beginning of creation. That, Lord, there would be one who would come. Crush the head of Satan. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the goodness of this, the goodness of this gospel. That Jesus has come into a fallen world to redeem a fallen man. And that none of us can have life except through him. In Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen. As the musicians come want to remind us of to be reading ahead into next week's passage. Prepare your hearts for what you will receive uh, when that time comes. It will allow you to worship in a way as you've meditated and uh, even maybe um, memorized some of the verses that are in there. And it will just prepare your heart for